fuller reading of our passage for today. should be on about page 1018 if you would like to grab a Bible from the pew and use that for our time together in the Word. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption uh, that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There is, there is no word like your word, that you would give us this word, that you would speak to us. We count as a treat, a gift, a blessing. Now, Father, by the very Holy Spirit who penned these words through Peter, now may you be present with us, stirring in our hearts, changing us through these words. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're spending um, 11 weeks this summer uh, considering 11 verses in 2 Peter chapter 1. And in particular, we've spent seven of those 11 weeks simply with the three verses in the middle, 5, 6, and 7. We spent a week at a time looking at each of the traits that, that Peter directs us to to supplement, to add to our faith, uh, that each of us must be people who are ever cultivating uh, uh, virtue and uh, knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. And, and, and now 
um, that our, our next two uh, attempts to take a look at this passage will be kind of a, a summary and a wrap-up. And so for this morning, we want to build upon what we've gone through this summer and add to that verses 8 and 9. And, and our time together this morning really is, is causing us, would cause us to evaluate or examine um, the, how we are doing in the work of cultivating uh, these character traits, these virtues in our lives. And two things I want to say. I want to talk about uh, the outcomes uh, of a positive examination. In other words, if, as we examine ourselves and, and we see these traits present and increasing, uh, then what that consists of and looks like. But then, and that's verse 8. And then verse 9 it gives us the, the negative take, the, 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 the outcomes from a, a negative evaluation, that, that meaning that these things are not present and are not increasing in our lives. Let's look at these two verses, these two points, one at a time. For if these qualities, what qualities? Well, the qualities he's just called for us to cultivate, in particular, um, what he has said back in verse 5, for this reason, make every effort. There's a certain resoluteness and a certain resolve that ought to be characteristic of our lives, that, that out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus, out of the overflow of our trust in Jesus, our dependence upon Jesus, that, that our faith and our relationship in Jesus should consist of a life of cultivating the very traits called for in verses 5, 6, and 7. Why? Because in a sense, what, what these traits uh, called for in verses 5, 6, and 7 are really nothing less than Christ-likeness. This is just a longer way when he says, make every effort to add to your faith uh, virtue, and to your virtue add knowledge, and to your knowledge add self-control, and to your self-control add steadfastness, and to your steadfastness add godliness, and to your godliness add brotherly affection, and to your brotherly affection add love. And that's just a longer way of saying, make every effort to look like Jesus. Cultivate Christ-likeness in one's heart and life. Now, Again, building upon where we've come from, we don't start with simply up and deciding one day we want to start being like Jesus. No, we, we start with grasping what has God done in His Son, by His Spirit, so that people like you and I could belong to Jesus. We start with a, a, a recognition of the work that God has done to rescue us from our sins. We, we start with a recognition of Christ and His perfect life, His perfect sacrifice. God raised Him from the dead. We start by turning to Christ, trusting in Christ. But, and yet, when we turn and trust in Christ, uh, we, we now pertain to the work of wanting be, to become like the one whom we are trusting in. Isn't it a wonderful thing to love Jesus? And yet we love Jesus because he has first loved us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. 
He took the initiative to embark upon a rescue mission. And how could we, how could we understand that and grasp that and, and not return love and trust to him? And, and yet a part of loving and trusting is that we want to grow. We want to be just like him. And so we want to make every effort to add to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Not because these are just interesting concepts, but because these are the very traits and virtues and characteristics of our Savior and our Lord. This is what Jesus looks like. He says, so so if these qualities are yours, and, he says two things here, if they're yours, if if we possess them, have them in some way, and yet, and not just have them in some way, but but we have them, and uh, we are ever increasing in them, so they're present, and they're growing. I say that because if they are not present at all, that is hugely problematic. That that is problematic of a bigger matter. If one even really belongs to Jesus. I, I don't know how we got here, but... But a, a part of, a part of the, the reality of, of Christendom in North America is people can say they are Christian and, and, and yet have no interest, no desire, no evidence of the reality of Christ in their heart and life. And then... And that's fine. You say that. We say that. That's going on all around us. But I I just want us to know before it's too late, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of Christianity, where someone could make a wink and a nod at Jesus and have none of the reality of the presence of Jesus in their life. What does he tell us in verse 4? But we are partakers of the divine nature that God, by his Spirit, when we belong to Jesus, has gotten inside of us. Us. And, and connect the dots here. If the presence of God is in our lives, then it stands to reason that to some degree, to some measure, we will have the very qualities of Christ's likeness. Why? Because Jesus is living inside of us. Shouldn't be odd that you would bump into a Christian who, who is virtuous and who is knowledgeable and who is self-controlled and who is steadfast and who is godly and who displays brotherly affection and, and who shows love. Like, whoa, what was that? It's just called a Christian. Not that we would boast or brag in ourselves for having those qualities, but that we would boast in Jesus because the reality of his presence is seeping out, showing itself in us. So, on some level, these things that we are to make every effort to cultivate in our lives, if we belong to Jesus, they should be in us in, to various degrees. 
you may have more than you, and you may have more than you, or you may have less than you, and, and yet there should be some measure of each of these, not two or three of them, but there should be some measure of each of these in our lives. And yet, and yet not just some measure, uh, but a hunger, a desire, an intentionality, a, a, a pursuit that I, I, I thank you, Lord, for what you've given me thus far, but Lord, I want more of you. I, I want to display more of you. I want to know you better. I want to look like you even more. So present and ever-increasing. I get it. There is ebb and flow in our lives, even as genuine believers in Christ. There is up and down in our lives, even as genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a back and forth. There is fluctuation in these qualities in our lives, even as true followers. But, but there should and can and must be an overall trajectory of maturation in our lives. We should have these present on some measure, and yet these should be ever increasing on another measure. Now, I don't know where we put the, the where we kind of stop and do the evaluation work. I, I don't I don't know that we could just say, so how about yesterday? How since yesterday? Have you, have you increased much in these qualities since yesterday? Well, I'm trying to tile my bathroom right now. And so these qualities are really ebbing and flowing right now. So, but, uh, um, but, but, but could, we, could, we, could we bump out the, the timeline a bit longer? Not just since yesterday, but since last week, since last month, since last year. Where, where are you and I at in terms of the presence of these qualities and the ever-increasing maturation of our lives in displaying these qualities. Make every effort. And then he gets to really the, the, the closer point. For if, for, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you. Here's the outcome. If, if, if they're present and growing, um, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say a couple things about that. Ineffective, unfruitful. On the one hand, those are overlapping terms. The, the, in other words, the range of meaning in those terms um, uh, have a, a lot of similarities. Ineffective suggests the imagery of uh, we're not working when we could and should be working. Unfruitful suggests uh, that we're not productive when we could and should be productive. Now, the words ineffective and unfruitful, those are kind of nice words. Um, and uh, I don't think Peter simply wishes to be ornery for the sake of honoriness. But, 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 but he may be pressing the case on, in us, on into us a bit, a bit more. 
One of the range of meanings of the term ineffective is to be ineffective, to, to not be working when you could and should be working. A, a common uh, way of saying that in our culture today, and this is a range of meaning of this word, is you're not working when you could and should be working. You're useless. I'm not saying you're not working when you're incapable of working, but, but, but when you could be working, it's time to work, and, and you're not. I know we can't, we can't shame in our culture anymore because then we're, we're all in trouble with the experts, but, but such a person is useless. And what, what Peter is, is, is stirring in our hearts is that when we are not cultivating these qualities in our own hearts and lives, then we are functionally useless in our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, that's a little bit stouter descriptor there. We're, we're idle when we should be working. Second term, unfruitful. Um, when and, and really, that's an agricultural kind of term. Um, uh, it's, it's the imagery of a tree or a plant. Uh, and um, it, it, so if you have an apple tree, uh, I know it takes a few years for it to, to get ready to, to bear fruit. But when it's time to bear fruit, I don't know how many years it takes. Each, each tree or each plant is maybe different. Uh, if we were growing pecan trees, that, that's quite a, a good long while that you have to kind of wait for it to be ready to its, its fruit-bearing stage. And yet, and yet, after a while, after 20 years, a pecan tree, you ought to look up and see some pecans hanging from that tree. A- after a couple of seasons, you should look over there at that apple tree and see some apples. And, and yet, after the right time of, of maturation, you don't see uh, the fruit hanging from that tree. That tree is worthless. You might as well cut it down. And I, well, and in fact, isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew, in, in John 15? I am the vine and you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts down. It's useless. Now, who, who wants those terms, even in the rawness of how I've framed them, not just ineffective and unfruitful, but but useless and worthless. Uh, who wants that to be described of, b- about any facet in our lives? You know, if I were to call your boss this week and say, hey, tell me about so-and-so. So-and-so, you mean, you mean Mr. Useless and Worthless? <laughs> if, if I was to set up a conference with your teacher, so said, tell me about what kind of a student Junior is. Junior, Junior is worthless and useless. I mean, but how much more would we not want to hear that descriptive of, of, of indication of, oh, so tell me about one's relationship with Jesus. Jesus, hey, how was so-and-so doing? So-and-so, so-and-so is useless and worthless. I know, I know that's, that is a, that, that's a hard way, that's a, that's a strong way to frame it. But what I want to impress upon us is who among us 
would want it to be described that our relationship with Jesus is functionally useless and worthless. And yet, when you and I don't take serious the call to make every effort to add to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love, Peter is helping us to connect the dots as to what we are really talking about. Our ineffectiveness, our fruitlessness uh, uh, is, is really reflective of an interior work or a lack of interior work. It's a failure to do the work in our hearts in, in terms of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would remind us when it says here in, in verse 8, uh, un ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. The word knowledge has been used a couple of times already in these verses. And how it's used in verses 2 and 3 is it's, it's, it's not just knowledge, meaning you know something about something. That's how it's used in verses 5 and 6, add to your virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control. But how it's used in verses 2 and 3 is the knowledge is not just knowing about Jesus. The knowledge is that we know Jesus. That, in other words, there's a real, genuine, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And where there is a real, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, then there will not be an ineffectiveness and, a, and an unfruitfulness. There will be an effectiveness and a fruitfulness. Because our true relationship, a true relationship with Jesus shows Excuse me, but your relationship with Jesus is showing right now. It will show in our homes. It will show in our work. It will show in our churches. It will show in our schools. It will show in our relationships. It will, it will seep, seep out. And really what Peter is, is, is exhorting us to consider then in cultivating these virtues is he's, cult, he's really calling for us to develop our relationship with the Lord, to walk with Jesus, to cultivate, therefore, out of our relationship with Jesus the very character traits and virtues that are true of Jesus himself. And when we do this, when we do the interior, personal uh, heart work, we become useful. We become effective and fruitful in that relationship with Jesus. We become useful and helpful. Useful and helpful to the Lord and to his service and to others ar ar around us. Peter is assuming that's where we want to be. Peter is assuming that we are inclined to make every effort because we want it to be known of us. We are useful and we are helpful. But then he gives the negative quality here, the, neg the negative evaluation, the negative examination in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities, so in other words, they're 
and, and here in the context, they're really not altogether present, and they certainly aren't increasing. So whoever lacks these qualities is, and again, there's a certain sharpness about his words here, is so short-sighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Now, first, I don't know if you noticed it, but verse 8 and verse 9 do an interesting grammatical shift here. In verse 8, he's been talking to us in the second person. He says, you, meaning you and me, us. He's talking about you-ins, us-ins. Uh, and, 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 and yet he shifts in verse 9, to, and he's, 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 he's not talking in the second person, you and me, us, uh, but he's talking in the third person. Did you see that shift? Because in, in, in part, I think that grammatical shift is reflective of, of his, if you would, his biblical or his theological conviction and, and understanding. On, on the one hand, uh, he can't envision, he can't envision uh, a scenario where, where there is a believer and there is a genuine absence of these qualities and an absence of the increase of these qualities. So he's, he's not talking about you and me now. He's talking about so-and-so. Hi, hi, almost, the imagery of verse 9 is almost as like, and I, I know that there really isn't even a category like this that exists, but just bear with me for a minute. I mean, just play this thing out hypothetical. Let me just talk in the third person. I'm not talking about you and I not right now because you and I belong to Jesus. And since we belong to Jesus, we are partakers of the divine nature. And since we are partakers of the divine nature, we have now new desires. And, and we now want to make every effort to cultivate these things because we want to be useful and helpful out in the overflow of our relationship with Jesus. But just to say, for instance, that's not true. So he says, whoever, whoever, whoever it is, whoever it is, not saying it's you, I'm just saying whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind. What I would suggest to you that in a sense... Again, what he's getting at, he is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed of his former sins, from his former sins. Uh, there's, 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 there's two statements that are going on here. He's short-sighted and blind, that's one statement, and, and he's forgotten that he's been cleansed of his former sins, that's a, another statement. And, and, and yet, just like with the imagery of uh, ineffective and unfruitful, um, the, the imagery uh, is, is overlapping in terms of the thrust that it's trying to, to, to make. Where there is no display, where there's no evidence, where there's no reality of these qualities in our lives, and where there is no uh, uh, increasing measure of these qualities in our lives, Peter is saying, you ain't seeing straight. You don't get it. You, for, for one thing, you, you, you can't look ahead and see straight. You, you, just, you can't look very far ahead. You're, si- you're short-sighted. You're nearsighted. You can, you can see maybe what's immediately, uh, but you, you can't really see much down the road. You have no clear vision of 
what's ahead. You know, sometimes in life, it's really important that we see straight when we go to make choices in life. It's it's really important that when we're playing with the future, um, uh, that uh, that we are that we are looking at things accurately. When when there's opportunities that are in front of us that the Lord has placed in front of us, divine appointments, if you would, it is it is really important that we not miss seeing those divine appointments, those opportunities. It is really important that, that as we motor through life that we have a certain clarity of mind, that we have a, a, an acuteness of wisdom about us, that we see straight, that we see ahead, that we see what's in front of us so that we can make good choices, so that we do seize the opportunities that the Lord places in front of us, so that we do have a sense of clarity and wisdom about us. And, you know, and what Peter is saying is that where you and I stop cultivating these qualities of virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love, when, when we do not have these qualities and we are not cultivating an increase in these qualities, then we can't see what's ahead of us. The future is fuzzy. Decisions become clouded and difficult. We become even paralyzed, not knowing which way to go, which way is up. Should I turn to the right or turn to the left or just stay forward? In order to see forward in life, it is absolutely imperative that we cultivate virtue in our life. Is that, I don't know if you know, but most of the decisions that we have to make in our lives are, are not the decisions that we could just turn to a particular passage of Scripture. I mean, there are some, you know, like, should I uh, lie about you or should I not lie about you? I could just turn over there to Exodus 20 and... There it is. I shouldn't lie about you. Or, you know, should I murder you or should I not murder you? Well, there it is. Exodus 20. I shouldn't murder. So the Lord gives us clarity in so many things. But should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I quit that job? Should I start this job? Should I, should I buy this vehicle or should I buy that vehicle? Should, should I go to this store or should I go to that store? I mean, so, so many of the daily routines and decisions that we have to make in life. and it, 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 you, you can't turn to a particular verse of Scripture that gives us that direct uh, direction on what to do. And in that case, it, it's, the answer is not found in a particular passage of Scripture. The, it, the answer is found in the kind of person that we've become because of our ingestion of the Scriptures in our relationship with the Lord. Out of the overflow of our relationship with the Lord, our time in the Word, we are cultivating these very qualities and virtues that help us to see straight, that help us to look at the future and know what to do about it. But, then, but not only do we not see straight in terms of the future, but, but having, having forgotten that He has been cleansed of His former sins, we don't, we don't even look at the past clearly. There's not a, there's not a clarity there we we look we we don't see straight when we look ahead we don't see straight when we look behind we 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 don't have a clear vision of seeing that we've been pardoned of our sins in Christ Jesus 
could we forget that? There's a lot of things I forget. And, you know, most of the things I forget, I forget because, you know what, they're not really important and relevant to me. I'm beginning to forget my wife's phone number. Not because she's unimportant to me, but because remembering the precision of that number is not important to me. All I got to do is press a button on my phone and it takes me right to her phone. I, I don't have to fuss with remembering all of those digits. I just have to remember it's on my phone, press that one right there, and it takes me to her number. Yeah, because it's, it's, remembering that is quasi-irrelevant. I don't really need that information. But when it comes to remembering what Christ has done for us. You say, well, Joe, that was a long. Look, in February of 1980, I turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and were pardoned, was pardoned of my sins at that moment because of the shed blood of Jesus. I mean, that's so 80s. I mean, I got bigger and better things to deal with in my life. I got to move forward. We, there's some ways that we could never move forward until we remember from whence we came. And when we forget from whence we came, when we forget that I was bound for hell, justly and righteously so, I was bound to experience the full brunt of all of my sins and it's all of the curses and judgment and wrath of my sins and yet while I was bound in that direction the Lord intervened and he turned me around and he opened my eyes and he showed me Jesus and he showed me what Jesus has done for me on the cross and that knowledge then gave me a whole new way of looking at myself and God and Jesus and everything else in the world. And, and by the very kindness of the Spirit of God, he placed a new heart and a new spirit in me. And I wanted to turn and follow Jesus. Why? Because of what he has done on the cross. Now, now be careful here. Some of you this morning know that Jesus died on the cross. And even have a category that says, I know he died on the cross for sins. I know he died on the cross for my sins. But here's what you've not done. You've never turned to Jesus. You, you, you have a knowledge about him, but you don't know him. <gasps> that is a horrible place to be in. In fact, that may be the worst of all scenarios. Because you know you know, you know, you know, you know, and yet you don't really know him. And so for the rest of our lives, we live out of the overflow of, I live in relationship with Jesus. Why do I live in relationship with Jesus? Why is he my Lord? Why, why does he set the direction of my life? Because no one has done for me what only he could do for me. No one has shed their blood, and that shed blood be an acceptable sacrifice in the presence of a holy God. No one but Jesus has done that. And when I remember that, it reorients my moment today. It resets where I'm going henceforth. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians for the love of Christ controls us. 
In other words, Christ's love for me has demonstrated on the cross. It compels me to go this way and not that way. For the love of Christ controls us. For we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. Let's not forget who has shed his blood for us. For when we forget that, we forget that we are on this day to seek a life of cultivating the very virtues of Christ in our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is no word like your word. Now help us, Father. Help us to take this word to heart that we would remember what your son has done for us that we would still be in awe, that we would still be overflowing with gratitude, that we would still be brimming with praise to you, and that such dispositions of the heart, such ability to see straight, would orient how we live today and tomorrow and this week. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.